Hello, and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I'm the staff pastor of Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. Thanks for joining me today for this uh, continuation of the Come Follow Me uh, series. It's a curriculum put together by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm just following along their schedule and adding some thoughts because I'm a Bible church pastor and some people are interested in knowing what I have to say about the Bible. Uh, Not many of you, but some of you. Today, (laughs) today we are looking at uh, the book of Joel. On the schedule, it's Hosea 1 through 6 and 10 through 14. It's interesting, the schedule has you skip chapter 7 through 9 of Hosea, and then also the book of Joel. But, I mean, you know, if you've been listening to these, you know I, I can't cover all that in one week, and neither can the people meeting for Sunday school to cover this. You can't cover all that in one week, so you have to be real selective. And uh, today we're just looking at Joel chapter 3. It's a short book, the book of Joel is, just three chapters, and we're looking at the final chapter of Joel. And uh, just want to consider God's judgment, okay? Um, this is this uh, part of Joel's prophecy, like much of his prophecies and much of the minor prophet prophecies that we'll, we'll be looking at for several weeks here, it has to do with God's future judgment. And so that's what I want us to consider today. And let's see, if I go here, um, oh, I don't have it selected yet. There we go. There we go, Joel chapter 3. And I'll just start by reading the first three verses of Joel 3. The heading in the New American Standard 1995 Bible that I use says, The nations will be judged. Verse 1, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there, on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. They have also cast lots for my people, traded a boy for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Well, um, here we have a distinction, just a basic distinction, between Israel and the other nations. Notice it says in verse 1, that the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem will be restored. That's a comprehensive phrase, Judah and Jerusalem. That means all of Israel. And we've talked about that in several recent episodes, so I won't go into detail with God redeeming his people Israel and how he's going to do that in the future. But he's going to restore their their fortunes, the southern kingdom and um, the, the northern kingdom, Judah, Jerusalem, his people, Israel. In verse 2, you see the term Israel. So we're talking uh, the entire nation is going to be restored, and all the other nations are going to be judged. That's verse 2. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now that's an interesting phrase, uh, Jehoshaphat. Uh, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. This is the only time in Scripture where it comes up. We don't know where this is, if this was a place that was known at that time or if it's a place that will be uh, known only in the future. But uh, 
it, it's the place where God's going to judge. So this is basically the valley of the Lord's judgment. In fact, there are some people who believe that this valley is going to be brand new. It'll be formed when Jesus Christ returns and stands on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives is split in two. That's Zechariah chapter 14, creating a valley. And uh, maybe it'll be in that valley where God has this judgment with the nations. But he's going to bring the nations together, and he's going to judge them in his wrath, and he is angry with them, wrathful toward them, because of what they have done. So again, back to what I just read in the text, they have scattered Israel among all the nations. That's the end of verse 2. They have trampled the land, that is Israel's land, and they've divided it up for themselves. And they've cast lots for the Israelites, so basically enslaved the Israelites or treated them poorly like slaves, traded a boy for a harlot, taking an Israelite boy to satisfy their own sexual desires, trading him away and getting a, a harlot, and selling girls, little girls, for wine that they may just get drunk. So so they're treating Israel as a means to their own sinful desires, get the, their own sinful gratification. They're not treating Israel rightly. They're not seeking to be a blessing to Israel. And this kind of goes back all the way to Genesis 12, where God tells Abram in that covenant he makes with him, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. These nations have cursed Israel, and they're going to be judged for that. That's what we're learning at the very beginning of Joel chapter 3. But let's keep reading, verse 4. Moreover, what are you to me, O Tyre, Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you rendering me a recompense? But if you do not recompense me swiftly and speedily, I will return your recompense on your head, since you have taken my silver and my gold brought my precious treasures to your temples and sold the sons of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their territory. Behold, I am going to arouse them from the place where you have sold them and return your recompense on your head. Also, I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hands of the sons of Judah and they will sell them to the Sabians, to a distant nation for the Lord has spoken. All right, so a little bit of detail as to what that judgment's going to look like with them. Uh, they're going to uh, live with some consequences here. And it's possible that, you know, some of this judgment has taken place in the past, that uh, these kingdoms at that time, during Joel's time, these Gentile kingdoms that were hammering on Israel, fighting against Israel, God judged them then in certain ways. He visited upon them their own sins and caused them to suffer what they sought to inflict on the Jews. And, uh, and those were all foreshadowings of this ultimate judgment in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And so perhaps there's like a little near and far fulfillment going on here in Joel, but, uh, but we see some details as to what God's going to do in his judgment against them. But let's keep reading. Verse 9, Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare a war. Rouse the mighty men. Let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a mighty man. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. 
Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness, and the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth tremble, but the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. So Jerusalem will be holy, and strangers will pass through it no more. All right. What a sweeping statement that is to be proclaimed among the nations. That was at the beginning. Proclaim this among the nations. And uh, God is saying, come on, all you who challenge me, all you who fight against my people Israel, all you who have sought to overthrow my plans, my sovereign design for what this world is supposed to be doing, those of you who have kicked against the goads, so to speak, come on, uh, let's, let's have a battle. And this battle is also described in the New Testament. So not only do we see it here in uh, Joel chapter 3, but it's also in the book of Revelation. You probably know that there's a lot of fighting, a lot of battle in the book of Revelation. And uh, Armageddon is what's basically being described here. Uh, this great battle that's going to take place, and then the judgment that will follow in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. In Revelation 16, verse 13, after talking about the sixth bowl being poured out, it says, the Apostle John speaking, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. And then in parentheses, verse 15, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. They gathered them together to the place, which in Hebrew is called Har-Megadon, or Armageddon. So there's a war that's going to take place that will culminate in God actually coming down and having a great victory. That's what Joel's talking about. God is going to have an actual battle. And so right here in Revelation 16, we see this, uh, this war starting that's going to finish with that final battle, and the people are coming together to do battle against the Lord. Verse 17 of Revelation 16, it says, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon, the great, was remembered before God to give her cup of the wine from his fierce, fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. 
and huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Well, let's compare that with what we just read in Joel 3 to remind you that uh, the nations are going to be aroused to do battle against the Lord. The harvest is ripe. The wine press is full. That's verse 13. We were just reading some of that wine press type language there in Revelation 16. There are great, great multitudes from the nations here in Joel 3, what we were seeing in Revelation 16 as well. The sun and moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. Okay, we got the same thing that's uh, happening in Revelation 16, where it talks about um, the there was a great earthquake and flashes of lightning, sounds and peals of thunder. So you have these cosmic signs going on and signs on the earth. So it's not the exact same language of the uh, uh, sun going dark and the, the moon going dark in verse 15 of Joel chapter 3 the stars losing their brightness, but you get the idea. They're cosmic signs. The the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and earth tremble. So there's that earthquake-type language going on, and it's a time of judgment for the nations. Yet, there's this contrast between the nations and the one nation, Israel. The Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. So Israel is going to be safe, but the nations are in great danger of the Lord's wrath. Okay, He's going to be dwelling in Zion, his holy mountain. He's going to be reigning and ruling from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem will be holy, and it will never be trampled or defiled again. It says in Joel 3 here, strangers will pass through it no more. So God will win this final battle of this Armageddon war, and he will judge all the nations, and Jerusalem will no longer be defiled. Israel will be safe. And this is the same kind of language we have in other prophets, too. Ezekiel 37, it talks about Israel saying, they will live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, they and their sons and their sons' sons forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. That's from Ezekiel 37, 25. Israel is going to be planted back in their land, and they're going to be safe. Amos 9, 15 says that Israel will be planted on their land, and they will not again be rooted out from their land that God has given them. There's going to be a permanency. There's going to be safety. That was Amos 9, 15. Zechariah 14, verse 11, people will live in it. They will be back in the land. They will be in Jerusalem. And God says specifically here, there will no longer be a curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. That's an amazing promise. These are all amazing promises, and I hope you see how they tie together, that God is going to come back, God himself, and he's going to do battle and win. God's not going to be defeated. Spoiler alert, just in case you thought that. He's going to come back. He's going to win, and the nations will be judged. And his nation Israel, the remnant that is saved out of Israel, will be placed back in their land and will dwell in security and safety permanently. Never again will the nations 
defile Jerusalem. The times of the Gentiles will be over. If you listen to last week's lesson on Daniel, we were talking about the times of the Gentiles, the visions of the kingdoms. All that's coming to an end here with the second coming of Christ, God himself, coming to do battle and to judge. Now, um, Revelation 16 is not the only place that talks about God coming and having victory, making the earth quake and tremble. But you see it in Revelation 19 also and in other places. Really, Revelation 16 is just kind of the beginning of God bringing all things to, the, to its end here um, in the book of Revelation. But in Revelation 19, you have this description of the coming Christ. We've looked at this before. Hopefully, you've read it before. What Jesus will be like when he comes back. He's going to be on a white horse. He's going to have the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's going to have a a sword, a sharp sword, coming out of his mouth, and he's going to strike down the nations. Okay, that's what we're reading about here in Joel 3 and these other passages. God's going to come, God the Son. He's going to return. He's going to strike down the nations and judge them. They will be judged in this valley of Jehoshaphat. And then he's going to rule them with a rod of iron. That's what's going to happen after that. Again, you get this language of treading the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. That's what he's going to do at his second coming. And this hasn't happened yet. This is yet future. Okay. So let's keep reading here in Revelation 19. After seeing this picture of what the coming Christ looks like, John writes, I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast... That's the bad bad guy in Revelation. And the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Okay, so here we are. They have assembled themselves together to do battle with King Jesus. Similar to Joel 3 again, where... <laughs> It's, it's told to Joel, proclaim this among the nations, prepare a war. Well, here we are in Revelation 19, and they're preparing. They're preparing for war. Let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. Well, that's what's doing. That's what they're doing. They're, they're returning their plowshares. They're, they're making their plowshares into swords. They're making their pruning hooks into spears. Notice this is the opposite of the good promise, the, the hopeful promise of Isaiah 2, that swords will be turned into plowshares. Spears will be turned into pruning hooks. People aren't going to make war anymore. Well, that we're not at that point yet. We're at the point now that it's such a big war, and the, and the people need so much help that they need to go get their farm equipment, turn them into uh, military devices, battle devices, because here it is. This is the big one. So if you're going to fight against Yahweh, if you're going to fight against God, get all the stuff you got and come on out, and let's have a fight. Let's see who's going to win. So that's what the people are called to do here in Joel chapter 3. Come, all you surrounding nations, gather yourselves there and bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. So he's got an army, and they're assembling their own army. 
that's what we see right here in Revelation 19.19. Their armies are assembled to make war against King Jesus and against his army. Well, this gets summed up pretty quick in Revelation 19, verses 20 and 21. The beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So that's the end of that battle. God's going to win. (laughs) Revelation tells us that. Joel tells us that. We see it all over Scripture. Uh, Every prophet, every apostle who wrote Scripture believed, of course, that God is going to win because that's what God said is going to happen. And after he wins, there's going to be a great time of peace on earth where he is reigning, he is ruling, Israel's in their land. Uh, There is all sorts of prosperity and blessing around the world. Uh, And there's no doubt that God is king because you have God the Son ruling and reigning physically, explicitly from Jerusalem. And so let's look at Joel's final description of what that'll look like. We'll start in verse 17. After God wins, then you will know, verse 17, then you will know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. So Jerusalem will be holy, and strangers will pass through it no more. And in that day the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk. And all the brooks of Judah will flow with water, and a spring will go out from the house of the Lord to water the valley of Shittim. Egypt will become a waste, and Edom will become a desolate wilderness because of the violence done to the sons of Judah, in whose land they have shed innocent blood. But Judah will be inhabited forever in Jerusalem for all generations, and I will avenge their blood, which I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. That's awesome, huh? That is so awesome. The ultimate victory belongs to the Lord, belongs to God alone. Jesus will win because he's going to come back as the perfect judge, and he's going to render perfect judgment to all people. And if you are alive and remaining at that time when Jesus returns, and you are someone who has rebelled against Jesus, what that means is death. There will be certain death, not just death in the flesh, that will certainly happen, we were just reading about it, but there will also be eternal death, eternal everlasting contempt and destruction. I, I want to add one more passage into this conversation uh, that, that I think really sheds a lot of light and adds some, some picture here or some color to the picture of what it'll look like when Jesus returns in Judges. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the first five verses. It says, Let a man regard us in this matter, or manner rather, this is Paul writing, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Okay, now listen to this. He just said the Lord examines him. And listen to what he says the Lord's going to do with this examination. 
it's going to extend. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. So when Jesus comes back, it's going to be a time of great judgment and bringing to light all the things that have, have been hidden in man's eyes. Well, Jesus sees them all, he knows them all, and as the perfect judge, he is going to reveal the motives, not, not just the, the things that were done, the actions, but the motives of men's hearts. There will be a perfect judgment, and people will be judged by Jesus. Now, how do you know if you are going to be judged and put to death if the Lord returns in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, or if you will be saved? How do you know if you are going to be welcomed by the Lord Jesus, or if you're going to be in battle against the Lord Jesus? The way that you know this is if you are a believer in the gospel. Do you belong to Jesus? You see, uh, both of those passages in Joel and in Revelation talk about the Lord having his army with him and the Lord defending and protecting certain people. Well, that means there are people that he considers to be a part of his team, so to speak, people that that are on his side, people who he deems are worthy of protection against other people. And you have to ask yourself, because I I don't know, I, I can't say this about you one way or the other, but you know and God knows, you have to wonder, am I someone who belongs to Jesus? Am I someone that Jesus is going to protect? Am I, so, am I someone who's going to be on his side in battle or not? And it all depends on who you believe Jesus is and what you've done with the gospel. If you've embraced it and it's become the creed of your heart, it's become the law of your life, it's become the determining factor of all things, is Jesus Lord or is he a foe to you? Is he king and friend, or is he someone that, that you've rejected? Now, there are people out there who would say, who would be very quick to say, no, I, I embrace Jesus, I accept Jesus, but it's not the real Jesus they're talking about, it's the Jesus of their own mind. And in so doing, when you've embraced a false Jesus, you have rejected the true Jesus. And you are not on Jesus' side, You are not someone that Jesus has embraced, but you are someone that Jesus would say, I don't know you. So what do you do? Well, you go to the Word of God, and you discover who Jesus is. You learn from Scripture, the Bible, who Jesus is, and you seek to believe, to follow, to embrace, to love this Jesus that has revealed himself to us. Now, very few people do this. There are very few people in the world who embrace Jesus. And he himself said that this would be the case. He did. Jesus didn't come and say, uh, this is all going to go great. <laughs> he came and said, yeah, there's going to be very few who find everlasting life and, uh, and very few who persevere to the end. But, uh, but that's what he offered. 
He offered life to the people. And for those who believe in Jesus, those who are found in him, that's a very famous phrase by the Apostle Paul, those who are in Christ by faith, he will keep to the end. They will persevere, and they will follow him all the way. That's what Jesus is in the business of doing, not just making converts, but making lifelong disciples. And so um, it is a great thing for you to, to ask yourself if you even know who the biblical Jesus is and to, to ask yourself what you've done with him, if you've rejected him or if you have embraced him. Because his calling is that, of course, you would embrace and follow. Jesus is God himself. If you think he is anybody other than the one true God of the universe, meaning he's eternal, he's, he has eternally existed as the one true God of the universe, if, if you define him as, as anybody else, that's not the biblical Jesus, and that he came and died in your place for your sins, and he rose again. And based on that, you have total acceptance with God if you believe in his work on your behalf. If you add anything to his work, now you've rejected the biblical gospel because the biblical gospel says that all of our merit rests upon Christ alone, that we have a righteousness that's been revealed apart from the law. We have a righteousness that comes to us in the person and work of Jesus, not Jesus plus things that we do, Jesus alone. And if you've embraced who he is and what he has done by faith alone, you can have true assurance that you are Jesus's. You belong to Christ and that you will be protected. You don't have to fear a battle where Jesus is going to strike you down. I know I don't fear that. I look forward to the coming of Christ. I can say with the authors of Scripture, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, that's the biblical word. Maranatha, Lord Jesus. But if you reject the biblical Christ, and the biblical gospel, you have reason to fear the judgment of God. The motives of your heart will be exposed, and you will be judged by Jesus. That is what's at stake. And we see so much of that in the book of Joel. We see that in so much of the Bible. Um, But I hope that that study provokes you to think about if you know Christ. It's an amazing, amazing story that God is putting together in the world. This is his world, and he's Uh, guiding history just as he desires, bringing glory to himself, culminating in the explicit physical kingdom of God that no one will be able to deny. The, The victory will be the Lord's. It's an amazing thing. Well, next week, what is it? Obadiah and Amos? Is that what it is? Amos and Obadiah. Yep, that's right. Amos is nine chapters, maybe a little more. Obadiah is just one chapter. Hmm. Don't know what I'll do about that yet, but we'll find out soon enough. Thanks for joining me today. God bless.